Welcome to RUF. Um, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're really glad that you're here and we hope that you feel welcome. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship and we're one of the many Christian campus ministries here at Wofford trying to walk alongside you to help you grow in your faith. If RUF is not sticking for you for whatever reason, there are many other campus ministries here Kirk is here, Campus Outreach is here, Reveron is here, um, a lot of people trying to help you grow in your faith at Wofford, so I just want to commend them to you. This fall, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus at large group, and the parables were just simply stories that Jesus told in his life and ministry uh, when he was here on earth, and he would tell stories that would often disorient people. He would frustrate people. He would look around at his circumstances and he would look at a tree or he would point to sort of the the ground and he would talk about the kingdom of heaven. He would talk about forgiveness. He would talk about grace to try to make sense of what it looks like to follow him in a fallen world. And he would tell these stories, but people would scratch their head at Jesus. Right when we think we have Jesus figured out, he would tell a story to disorient us. And that's what he's been doing over and over as we have been looking at these parables. And tonight we're looking at a parable all about prayer. It's a parable about prayer. And it's the persistent widow. It's our story tonight. Um, I don't know about you. I have all these kinds of rituals when I go on road trips. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when I go to a gas station to fill up my car with gas is I walk inside and I start looking around in the gas station for snacks in a way that I never would do unless I'm on a road trip. And I bet even as I'm saying that, you're thinking of your favorite road trip snack. Like Thanksgiving is almost here, which means it's time to drive to Greenville or Atlanta or whatever. So when we go to Alabama for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I will be going to the gas station to get peanut M&Ms because they're my favorite road trip snack. Um, also beef jerky. Um, and I, I love trying different brands of beef jerky. It's like one of my things that I love doing. Uh, if you have any recommendations, let me know. Um, children also have road trip routines. Um, but children are less concerned with the snacks that they'll be eating or the playlist that uh, they'll be listening to. Children are concerned with one thing when they're on a road trip, and it's what they say in this common refrain. Are we there yet? And they say this. They say this relentlessly. They say it over and over and over again. And guys, uh, I actually think that that's actually a really accurate picture of prayer, of what God wants us to do when we pray, is this childlike posture, this persistent, habitual, are we there yet? And as we see, what we're going to look in this passage is that while we're really annoyed when children say this over and over and over again, um, God is not. He's not annoyed. He actually delights to hear you ask him repeatedly over and over and over again um, with tears in your eyes often. Are we there yet? Right? Life in a fallen world being really messy and difficult. The text is before you. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to pray and look at it briefly. But friends, this is God's word. He's not silent. He has spoken to us not to give us a book of rules, 
to follow or a theology exam to, to ace and to master. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves you and he loves me. And he told them a parable to, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps, keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And then the Lord said, Hear what this unrighteous judge says, and will, God, uh, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Let me go to the Lord and ask him that he might teach us. Oh God, we do give thanks to you for your word that you have not remained silent. You've spoken to us. We know that your words are living and active. They're sweeter um, than anything we can experience in life. Lord, I do ask that you would slow us down tonight. Many of us walk into this room um, with busy minds and restless hearts, and we need you to slow us down that we might hear you, that we might believe you, that we might see Jesus as beautiful and more believable. Um, Lord, I do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can see the game plan in front of you. We're going to manage our text tonight with persistent praying and then persistent promises. Persistent praying and persistent promises. Let's do the first one. So in this story, Jesus is showing us that he wants us to be persistent in the way that we are praying. For Christians, prayer is not occasional, but daily and habitual. Not every now and then, but a lifestyle. The widow in this story is persistent because she's experiencing injustice. Did you see this? And instead of waiting and waiting for things to happen, she actually uses her own agency and she goes to this judge right to the source and she does this over and over again. Do you notice this? Kind of wears this guy down and she, in her own way, saying, are we there yet? (laughs) Are we there yet? And Jesus is saying that his people should pray like that. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to pray. If we're going to pray, we have to pray persistently. But what Jesus shows us as he kind of tells the story and then backs up from the story and comments on it, he says, you see this judge, he's annoyed with her, clearly. He's apathetic. But God, your father, is not. He's patient and gracious and kind, and he is not, he doesn't have a posture of arms crossed, rolling his eyes at you to just get yourself together before he hears you. He longs to hear you cry out to him. He longs to, he delights in hearing his people cry out when they need help. Eugene Peterson puts it this way the language of prayer is forged in the crucible of trouble. When we can't help ourselves and call for help, When we don't like where we are and want out, 
and we don't like who we are and want to change, we use primal language. And this is the language that becomes the root language of prayer. God wants us to come to Him honestly. And when we experience injustice and disappointment, shame and guilt and trouble and despair. And you all know this. Isn't this what any good father wants anyway from his children? Of course it is. He, he wants to listen to us with our frustration. He wants to hear us. He doesn't want us to pretend to be something that we're not. He wants us to pray to Him persistently because He's our Father and He cares about the very particularities in the corners of our lives that we don't want to touch or bring up or talk about. He cares about those things. He wants us to go to Him. I have three nieces, and uh, my brother uh, would go on these uh, dates with each of them individually. He would just call them daddy dates. And he would go couple times a month with each one of his daughters and they're now 13 13 10 and 9 I think and he would do this was just sort of like a routine they would do and they would get these sugary coffee drinks at Starbucks and they would sit down together and they would get a sugary dessert and eat it together and there really wasn't an agenda to these these daddy dates there was no agenda and I would talk to my brother about it and he would just say I'm just trying to create an environment that's consistent in my daughter's life where they can just be my daughter. Where they can just be my daughter. And the power of the, the, in terms of the relationship, the father-daughter relationship, the power of it was how frequent it was. That my, my nieces actually just expect it. Like, this is just what my dad does. This is what I do with my dad. I talk to him. I'm his daughter. He cares. He's engaged. He's intentional with me. How, how do you relate to God how, how, how do you see God? See, I think some of us see God like a genie and we, we ask Him for things and He's going to give us what we want when we want it. And I think others of us will relate to God as more of kind of a distant deity, like a, an emotionally distant father figure who's like zoned out watching Netflix or um, Alabama football uh, in my case. And, uh, but not really there, right? Emotionally pr- distant, but physically present. A distant deity. He's cold. He's apathetic. Can you just get... He won't make eye contact with you, right? And others of us think of God as a score pe- scorekeeper. And so we pray, Lord, give me this internship and give me an A on this exam. Give me a spouse. Give me, I'm lonely. Give me friends. And once you give me that, I promise I'll stop getting drunk on the weekends, right? This scorekeeping, like bargaining relationship with God. So God is scorekeeper. The reason I ask this question, how do you relate to God? Because what you believe about God and what you believe the Bible says about God informs the way that you pray to him and how frequently you pray to him. Because if he's cold and apathetic and emotionally distant, of course you don't want to pray to him. And of course you feel like you have to button up for him because he won't make eye contact with you, right? This informs the way that we pray and how often we pray our theology, our understanding of who God is. But the Christian life is a life of persistent prayer. And we, if we're going to pray persistently, guys, you have to know what the Lord's Prayer shows us in the very first line, that before anything else, Jesus wants you to know that God is your Father. He is not disengaged. He is so near. 
Rowan Williams puts it this way, and this quote is on your handout if you want to read along. Very near to the heart of Christian prayer is getting over the idea that God is somewhere a very, very long way off. So that we have to shout very loudly to be heard. On the contrary, God has decided to be an intimate friend and He's decided to make us part of His family and we always pray on that basis. Prayer for the Christian always starts, whether you say the words or not, as our Father. You are praying with the status of son. You are praying with the status of daughter. Okay, That's where we start. So how how do you relate to God? But also I want to ask this question because we have to ask this. How often do you pray? How often do you pray? If you claim to be a Christian, is prayer something that's occasional or daily? Is, is, Is prayer something that's before I go to bed at night when I think about it? Or is it woven into the fabric of what you do in your day? Like I eat lunch and I pray. I work out and I pray. Is it is it a part of your day? The fabric and the rhythm of your of your day and your week. When you experience disappointment and injustice, is your gut reaction to pray? Or to take matters into your own hands? When you walk into an exam and you fa- you walk into a room to take an exam, you fail it, is your gut reaction to go to the Lord in your pain? Or to take matters into your own hands and you better get to the library or Millican and study for the next exam. Is your gut reaction Millican or prayer? Right? We have to ask ourselves this question. When you catch up with a friend and you learn that they're battling crippling anxiety and depression and they still are and they've been doing that since, since middle school and you have no idea what to say to them anymore, is your gut reaction some sort of like therapeutic self-help stuff? Or is it prayer that God can actually draw near and wipe away their tears, right? What's your gut reaction when you experience this? Because in your shame and failure, confusion and disappointment, God wants you to bring all of it to him and he wants it to be your like instinctual muscle memory thing. I just talked to my dad. I talked to my father. Because if you want to have a relationship with anyone, with any substance, with any depth, you've got to log time with them, right? You've got to spend time with them. You have to talk to them. You have to have frequent and persistent conversations. If I want to have a real friendship and a real marriage with Ivy, with real substance and intimacy, date nights cannot be occasional. Conversations where we're like, you know, Underneath the hood, what is going on underneath the surface here? Because you've seemed off for the last week, and what's going on with you? If we aren't getting real with each other in a frequently kind of persistent way rather than occasional, that's not real substance. It's not real intimacy. It's not real relationship. Same with prayer. Guys, if anything that we noticed about the life of David last year we talked about this a lot, is that he, A, lived a really messy life, and B, for our purposes tonight, the dude prayed all the time. The majority of the Psalms, 150 of them, David wrote most of them. He prayed a lot. And Psalm 55, 17 says this, and I, I love this. It's so simple. At morning, at noonday, and in the evening, I will cry out to him. Morning, lunchtime, bedtime, I'm praying, Right? 
the Lord wants you to come to him in prayer, not occasionally, but daily. And in many ways, guys, what, and, and this isn't for me to like guilt you into coming to morning prayer or not. I really don't, I want that to be a resource. I don't care who comes, who doesn't come. But I, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to model and trying to cultivate together is that it's like normative for us to start the week with prayer. That's like, that's, if that's all that we're trying, that's kind of a win, right? And whether you come or not, I, I, that's what we're trying to cultivate. That like prayer is not occasional. It's just like what we do. So where do you start? Where do you start in because I and I want to name this kind of off off script here. I, as I I'm like anticipating um, like guilt and shame. Uh, maybe it is like midterm season, like all month. I know, and many of you uh, are like, when is this going to end? And everyone's so busy, and it prayer in the college years where you have maybe you're you have your own cube, but if you pray out loud, people can hear you on the other side of the room, or maybe you have a common area. Like when do you actually pray? If you pray out loud, this can be difficult. This isn't to shame you and to be like where where do I start? I have so far to go in praying. Like persistent prayer is so not on my radar. I don't even know where to start. I don't want you to overthink this. He's your father. He's not concerned with you trying to impress him with your prayers. You don't have to use lofty theological terms. He didn't want that. He sees through that anyway. How would you talk to your father? How would you talk to a father who cares? Just start. Don't overthink it. John Cassian is a, is a church father in the 5th century, and he just said, I love this. He wrote this, to, uh, he wrote this in a letter to one of his parishioners. He just said, prayer should be frequent and brief. Frequent and brief. When my older brother got diagnosed with cancer, I went to one of my professors in seminary, and I was like, "How? where do I even start? His wife was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer and is cancer-free now. It was an amazing story. And I was like, what, how did you pray? And he said, most of the time I just said help. And I said it like every 45 seconds. Brief and frequent. Just start. Don't overthink it. He loves to hear you. So that's persistent praying. Let's go to persistent promises. Next thing that Jesus shows us in this story is that, that for Christians, it's not just persistent prayer, like getting the reps in, but it's, it's being rooted in God's promises. It's praying that's rooted in who God is, who God has been in history, who he's been to God's people in, in history, who he's been to you, and that informs what you think about the future. Look at verse 6 again. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. This annoyed judge, then Jesus says, Will not God give justice to the elect, God's people, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, we find faith on earth. Jesus is essentially saying, me paraphrasing him, When you see and experience injustice, I do want you to pray to me relentlessly and persistently, but pray to the Father and don't quit. Don't lose heart because of who he's been, because God keeps his word. Because God is a God of promise, and he has never failed to keep his promises in his own timing. God, and and y'all, if anyone can say that with authority, it's Jesus, because he knew what it felt like to pray and really banking on God keeping his word. We'll get to that in a little bit. 
God isn't just a caring father who hears the cries of his children. He's a father who responds. He's not just like being empathetic with you and like, man, I know, like I'm crying with you. And that's big. But he answers, he responds. Jerem Bars says it this way, when we, we're praying to a God who hears us gladly, when we come to him with our trouble, we can be sure that he will hear us with immediate sympathy. We also are promised that our Heavenly Father has the will and the power to act quickly and on behalf of His people. He will hear you with immediate sympathy. He's, he's crying with you if you're crying with tears in your eyes. But He also will act quickly and speedily. He responds. So when you pray to God, you're, you're praying to a God who responds because He's not aloof. He's not disengaged. The opening statement in verse 1 in our story with Jesus, what he says, he says he's, he's telling this story because he doesn't want his people to lose heart. And we can kind of overlook that, just, hey, Jesus just setting up the story, but it's actually a, an important line because Jesus is being a realist. He's being realistic. He's being honest, and he's saying, I know life in a fallen world is full of injustice. And you're probably going to get worn down and tempted to throw in the towel. And you will, not not if, you will have tears in your eyes. You will not want to pray frequently and persistently. You're actually going to want to lose heart. Jesus doesn't give many details about the widow in this parable, what she went through, what the injustice was, but he does make it clear. She is experiencing something that is not fair. Something that is unjust. And what it shows us is that life in God's world is actually difficult. We live in a fallen world and we experience suffering. And Jesus, and you know this if you've read much of the Bible or grew up in church, Christians should not be surprised by this. He actually says, if you want to follow me, you actually have to die to yourself and your preoccupation with yourself. And you have to take up a cross. Um, like, when, when should Christian, since when should Christians be surprised that we're suffering? Um, this is what we signed up for in a lot of ways. But as we cry out persistently in prayer, we have to do it remembering who God is and what he's promised to do and to be for us. Because that's who he is. It's, it's important that we know that the God of the Bible is a God who has bound himself to a people who are rebellious, and he's made promises to them. He made promises to Adam. He made promises to Abraham and to Noah. He made promises that through Abraham's lineage, a Messiah would come. And that Messiah did come. He made promises that that Messiah would not be attractive And no one would pay attention to him. And people think he would be a drunk because he was hanging out with all these people that no one wanted him to. He made promises that he would go up and get slaughtered on a cross for our sins and that he would walk up out of a graveyard and defeat death. And that actually happened. And then God actually made promises that the Son of God, he will come in the flesh again and make all things new and wipe away all tears. Guys, the God of the Bible is a God who makes promises. He's a God of covenant. Makes co- we are, 
He has put, he's bound himself to us because he's a God of promise. He's a God of covenant. The story of the Bible is not about us making our way up to God. It's about God binding himself to us in a covenant and not stopping. So when we pray, we're banking on the fact that God will keep his word because that's what he's always done. It's what he's always done. So when Christians pray with tears in their eyes, they're actually trusting that God will wipe away all tears. When Christians pray for justice in the world, they pray trusting that justice will really be realized when Jesus returns. When Christians pray for sick family members to be healed, they pray trusting that in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no sickness and death. Our praying should be persistent, but our prayers should be deeply rooted and informed by God's promises. Ultimately, in Jesus coming back again and restoring all things and wiping away all tears. I mean, this is what we see that the largest category of Psalms, there's 150 of them. I say this like once a week to you guys, I feel like. The Lament Psalms, I was going to ask you guys to tell me what kind of Psalms. The Lament Psalms, what's Lament mean, you ask? It's complain. God's people are looking around at their circumstances and they hate what they see because the world is not what it's supposed to be. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord? How long? You need to act. You need to act. It's not ignoring, acting like everything is okay. It's being brutally honest with God. But here's the thing. One of my pastor friends from St. Louis told me this. It was so important for me. And what we see in Psalm 13 with David David is saying over and over again, he's looking around in his circumstances and he's being honest with tears in his eyes. How long, O Lord, will this happen? You say that you're close, but you seem nowhere to be found and far away from me right now. How long will I feel like this? That's what he's doing. And then my pastor Ron always would say this. In the Lament Psalms, you always have a turn. That's what he called it, the turn in the Lament Psalms. And there would be a turn when David goes from how long, O Lord, honesty, lament stuff to reflecting back on God's faithfulness in the past. Here's what he does. You should read Psalm 13 tomorrow sometime. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How how long will I take counsel in my soul? I'm sorrowful all the day, et cetera, et cetera. And then in verse five, this is what he says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Here's the turn. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's going back to the past. This is who God has been. And what my pastor was trying to show me is that God's people are those who cry out for justice, again, in their tears and their sufferings, but they cry out reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past and it informs the way that they're relating to the future. It's trusting that God keeps his word. And guys, I, you know, this is one of the parables, um, but all the parables are like this. The parables like bring up more questions than they give us answers. I think Jesus wants that shows us that the Christian life is messy. Here are a couple of questions that that you might be thinking in terms of prayer, because this passage is not a comprehensive picture of everything the Bible says about prayer. Here's some questions you might have very appropriately. Why pray if God already knows what will come to pass in his eternal plan? Why pray? He already knows it's going to happen. What happens if you pray for sick family members to be healed and they are not? Will God only answer my prayer when my prayer life is going well? 
I'm supposed to pray persistently and I'm not, will he then not answer me? Did God uh, not answer my prayer because I'm living in sin? Those are fine questions, and I, I just want to say the point of tonight is not to answer all those questions. And if you would like to talk about those questions, you, I'm, let's get coffee, let's talk about it. Um, meet with Caroline. She'd love to talk to you about that. But I want you to think about Jesus and his prayer life for a second. If, you're, if you've been like zoning out, let's zone in for a second. If you're hearing anything, I want you to hear this. The night before Jesus was betrayed, he was in this garden called Gethsemane. And he was freaking out. And he did have tears in his eyes. And he starts praying super honestly with God. And he said, anticipating the crucifixion, and he said, if there's any other way for this to happen, let it happen that way. Let this cup pass from me if there's any other way. How did God answer that prayer? He didn't answer that prayer like that. He actually, the God the Father told God the Son, Jesus, I know, mind blown, no. It's not my plan. The beauty in Jesus' prayer is that even in tears in his eyes, he says, but not my will, but yours. That's the beauty of his prayer. That the trust, you see the childlike trust, a vulnerable child is in that garden. Unbelievable. The point of prayer and prayer persistently is not to figure God out. You are a finite human being. It's not for you to figure out the ins and outs of God, how God answers your prayers. That's not it at all. Those are good theological questions. This text is not answering those questions. The point here is for us to become like a child and pray persistently to him and trust him. That's what he wants. He wants relationship. In any substantive relationship, you have to have frequency. You have to have trust. That's what he wants. A couple of practical things here. Um, we're going to land the plane and be done. Uh, two things. Pray in community and keep track of your, who you're praying for and what you're praying for. So pray in community. The reason, um, and I, I didn't think about this until today, honestly, or at least put words to it. Um, I was talking to Ivy about it. I was like, it, this is another example of why we have to live the Christian life not alone and solitary, but in community. Because when you're praying with other people and you're opening up to other people on what they should be praying, like doing prayer request stuff, and then asking, hey, I really want to grow over here. I'm weak. I'm trying to repent of this, and this has been something going on. They have a perspective on your life that you don't have. They can look in on your life and be like, man, Last semester, here's where you were. And this semester, this is what God has done. I don't know if you noticed. That's amazing. Let's celebrate that, right? They just have a perspective on your life that you don't have. They help you reflect on what God is up to in a way that you just can't by yourself. So pray in community. You could say all kinds of things about that, but at, at, at least they just have a perspective and eyes on your life that you just can't have. And also keep track of who and what you're praying for. I mean, if you know, you probably know someone, maybe if you grew up in church, like there was this woman in our community group in St. Louis at our church who would have this prayer journal, and she would write out her prayers. She would write out who she was praying for, what she was praying for, and what she would tell us, and this one was in her 80s, and it was just so beautiful. 
she'd go back and look how what she was praying for, and she would kind of keep track of how God was answering or not answering her prayers. And it was so helpful, and it helped her see the intimacy and how God is drawing near in her life in a way that if she hadn't written stuff down and kept track, she just wouldn't know. So just like keep track of like what is going on in your heart, how you're praying about it. Reflect back on it. One of my favorite things uh, about um, Eugene Peterson is that he translated the Bible and the message Bible is Eugene Peterson's translation. And he paraphrases uh, the last few verses this way. So what makes you think that God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people to continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. God will not drag his feet. How much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, in many ways, guys, that is our posture and our prayer in a fallen world. And oftentimes, God's response to us is to his children not to people he's annoyed with, is not yet. Not yet. But we will arrive right on time. And you are not in control. And you are not driving. Sit back and relax and watch another episode of Netflix, right? Um, We are invited tonight in this passage to embrace the reality, whether we like it or not, that we are not in the driver's seat of this thing. That God is not dragging his feet with you. He is not disengaged emotionally. He is not zoned out. He knows you better than you know yourself. Um, And we're invited to life trusting that God is driving and he's driving this whole thing into a new heaven and new earth with no tears, with no more injustice, with no more sickness, with no more abuse, with no more tears, and with no more death. And that's good news. Let me pray for us.